Welcome to the final episode of Eastern World 2011 Recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Armstrong, and joining me as always is the Canadian who's been sitting on the sofa apathetically waiting for us to get around to recording this finale, Logan Saunders. Good afternoon. And the guy who we only let on the podcast because it's free therapy for him, David Bindley. How many ping pong balls can you fit in a callback? <laughs> God, not this again. <laughs> I've not even started editing the episode, but I know it's going to break me again. <laughs> I wasn't even going to do that one until you mentioned it just like off, off air a couple of minutes ago. I know, and we don't even like dating this podcast if we can help it, but I kind of feel like we have to because today is October 26th when we're recording this, 2022. And uh, today is also conveniently the day that Marika has uploaded this season. Oh, really? Yeah, halfway through me watching the reunion this afternoon... I got the message saying, oh, Marika's finally uploaded season 11. I'm like, hmm, that's going to be interesting for people next year. So without dating ourselves, even though we're going to have to, this is actually the day when season 11 becomes accessible again for people. So it's perfect timing for us. Yay. And hopefully it's still there when it comes out next year. It better bloody be. <laughs> Can you imagine us hyping it all up and then people going, yeah, we can't actually listen to El Salvador Nicaragua. We're just going to have to hope that you describe the challenges well enough. Well, I know a guy who can do that. I know a guide that can do that. Yeah, there's a guide for that. Just as there is a guide for everything when it comes to mole challenges. And maybe by the time this episode comes out, the new version will have come out as well. Maybe. And after ten long episodes, I do have to say Logan finally got to the right mole. Hey, uh, episode eight. Episode eight, I was on to the right mole. Yeah, when there were four people left, one of whom you knew wasn't the mole. You had a one in three shot. No, it was one in four, I thought. I, there were four, uh, Santa... Anna was eliminated in episode eight. Oh, I see, I see. But I, I, I suspected Patrick in in that episode. Yeah, because Anna wasn't there for you to suspect at the end. So you knew it wasn't Anna, you knew it wasn't Art, and it was pretty bloody obvious that it wasn't Sundos. Yeah. As much as obviously we're going to be like, yay, Logan actually worked it out this time, unlike last time we did a Historians, it was pretty much an open goal, this one. No, I had Patrick one slot above Anna. As Bindle said in episode three, don't worry, you'll get to the point where you pretty much have to find out who the mole is on this season. It's not subtle. Yes, well, especially yeah, when it's like, it's Patrick, Karen, or Soundos. And then, yeah, the knowing that Art wins in the end. What's interesting with Patrick being the mole was just how how close together him and Art were all season long. Because usually when the mole and the eventual winner uh, are aligned, the winner was onto the mole from the very beginning. That's why they were so close. But in this case, we find out Art wasn't really onto Patrick for quite some time. No, for almost all of the season, Art was not onto Patrick. It's actually quite impressive how well Patrick does, given that a lot of people in the end of the season do suspect him, and yet he still managed to blind Art to it. Yeah, and just uh, the interesting thing to note about how Art won the season is just the way that you find out just how observant he really was and how game-savvy he was overall. You really That really comes to the surface during the reunion. Because during the season, it's more of just, oh, Art's taking control of the challenges and not really wanting input from anybody else. He wants all of the focus on him for every task. But really, what comes up at the reunion is that Art engineered these situations where 
he's waiting for another player to take the initiative and see how the player responds to a situation that he has created himself. Yeah, as much as obviously we went in on Art last episode and how frankly unpleasant he was at times in this season, I think this reunion does a lot to make you work out why he did those things. I still think he was a complete cock in this season, but I sort of understand why he was a cock a lot more. Yeah, there was just, you realize that he was playing at a higher level than a fair amount of players in this cast. And in terms of the fans as well, Patrick is a very popular mole. He was sixth on the uh, on the subreddit list as of 2022. Obviously, if they do another one in 2023, that might not be accurate. But in the subreddit pool in 2022, he was number six. Yeah, because Patrick gets unlucky early on because Art rules out Patrick as the mole. So his strategy is to make everyone think Patrick is the mole. And he has to work around that obstacle from pretty much right from episode one. I do think it's interesting that we've talked in seasons gone by about what happens when a mole and the eventual winner are so close. And I think it's absolutely fascinating, especially now that we can talk about Patrick and Art as this kind of symbiotic pair, because they are so unbelievably close, even by mole and winner standards. Well, even during the reveal montage, when they were going through all the tasks, you realize, man, they were they were working very closely together. Probably in probably seventy five percent of the challenges, they were the tightest pair working together out of any other combination during the season. Hmm. And it kind of explains why Yan managed to last five episodes. And it's funny that Art was was thinking it was Yan too. It seems like for a good chunk of the season, both players were suspecting each other because of the initial sniper challenge that was in episode two. Was it episode two? The sniper challenge. Because Yan says, well, Art got so close to the end and didn't get the cash in there, so that's what made me suspect him. And then Art thinks it was Yan because Mole spent time underground, and Yan was the only contestant to be underground during that challenge. So previously, Karen was duped by Art, refusing to lie in a church, but it was the three non-Patrick contestants who were duped as he was contacted by the Mole and given the chance to win his ticket to the final three, which he did. At the test, three bonus questions confused them and gave them the chance to change their future. The PTN tells us that episode 9 ended with a postponed execution and it's now up to the candidates to influence the next challenge and ensure that their future comes true. And I'll be perfectly honest, normally we do merge the finale and reunion because there's very little content between the two of them and it kind of works out as an episode. There is very little content in this finale. It's funny because with Vidim, every time we talk about a season, we always say, oh, that final three episode, it's always it's always the one with the slowest pace. It's not very interesting. You know that the reveal isn't going to happen within that episode. It doesn't happen till the following reunion episode. It's just a lot of montages, especially nowadays when episodes are about, what, 15 minutes longer than it is during this season? Yeah, these episodes range between about 45 and 50 minutes, whereas the new ones range between about an hour and five and an hour and 30 for the reunion, I think. Yeah, so I just remember with recent years with Vidim how it's 65 minutes for the final three, and it'll be two challenges and a massive montage and maybe a a twist for the final quiz. Luckily here, it's in the shorter format, so it, it still drags a bit. But not as much as Netflix Mall. Yeah, I was about to say, Netflix somehow managed to have a 36-minute episode with just one challenge, and somehow that dragged. 
I think by overall Vidim Final 3 standards, this is definitely one of the better Final 3 episodes that they've had. But they still can't quite figure out how to perfect it yet. Yeah, this one doesn't necessarily drag. It just doesn't have much content. Like, the pacing is perfectly fine. The substance just isn't there. There's barely anything to talk about in this challenge. What was very odd is that we don't really get an explanation of the challenge beforehand. We're just thrown into it. It's told in flashback, which I suppose is playing on the whole idea of changing your future and all that sort of stuff. But it is just very odd. I basically just wrote the description of what they had to do from Bindle's Challenge Guide, to be perfectly honest. You're welcome. So as I understand it, Karen and Sandos had to throw money out for Patrick and Art to find? So Karen and Sundas had to look for red flags in the jungle. I, mean, I, I realized, you know, Art and Patrick were down the bottom, but, you know, actual red flags. <laughs> so they had to look for red flags and drop the beacons for Art and Patrick to find and follow the noise. And then once they, fe- once they found the noise, they had to search the area nearby for the flag, which had the money next to it. Oh, okay. So it's as simple as that. We don't even see their divisions until about 10 minutes into the episode. And then we start getting the only real, well, there, I guess there's a couple of funny moments first, where Art and Patrick think they hear dogs, and then they clue in that it's howler monkeys. Yeah, so before anything else, um, there is the weird discussion before the challenge of everybody not trusting everybody anymore, and Art talking as he always does, and then Sundar starts whispering to Karen, and it causes an argument, and... Karen just claims that she was asking what the third bonus question was, and she's inclined to say every man for themselves now. And Patrick doesn't know the questions, but he doesn't really need to. They can fight it out amongst themselves, and he just kind of walks off. Well, this is the last challenge of the season. My job here is done. I don't I don't have to try and really mole anything anymore. Yeah, you can kind of tell in that sequence that Sundas has basically had enough of Art trying to dictate everyone's strategy to them. And, you know, hard same. Oh, God, yeah. she She's so... She's so over art now. It's yeah. great. She's over art, and then you can tell Karen is still thinking about the church thing from the day before. So I don't think either of them were really in any mood to help art or Patrick. The one thing I noted too is that, or rather, one question I had is Karen and Sandos are clearly teaming up against art. They do. They want one of them to win the season, but not art, because everyone knows at this point that it's Patrick. And I couldn't help but think if. If Art wouldn't have won the season, if Karen and Sandos got united a bit earlier and were really sick of Art, say, one or two episodes ago, if they would have found a way to get him out. Or just weaken him or not let him have as much control or have as much access to information as he did throughout the season. The biggest mistake that Karen and Sandos made was letting Art and Patrick spend so much time together. They were unfortunate that obviously those guys teamed up very early in the season, but because they let them constantly room together and all that sort of stuff, Art had an inherent advantage. And as we find out in the reunion, Sundos was basically onto Patrick from episode one. We don't need the usual suspect montage of uh, who was onto Patrick when. We know from what Sundos said that she was onto him from basically episode one. So she was really unfortunate not to win this season. And it's entirely because Patrick spent so much time with Art. It makes you wonder, why didn't Sandos put in more of an effort to get between Art and Patrick if she if she was really on to Patrick that much? 
Because that's uh, you can do all the note taking you want, but there is definitely an advantage if you can cling yourself to the mole. Because as I mean, we've seen it so many times now where the person who clings to the mole the most and is able to make it to the finale, typically that person will do the best on the quiz just because it's much easier to remember what somebody did when they're around you the whole time. I think it goes back to the theme that we had earlier in the season of nobody really trusting or listening to Sundos. Because at this point in time, she would have been 28, I think. But she seems far younger than that. And she was one of the youngest in the group. So because people aren't listening to her, she struggled to get her point across, basically, I think. And I think if she'd been maybe a couple of years older or a couple of years wiser, she would have been able to not force her opinion on the group, but actually have them listen to her a lot more. And maybe she would have been able to split up out and Patrick a bit more if she'd been able to do that. And then you'll have viewers say, oh, now she's being bossy. Yeah, because she's a woman. I'm sure Art has a joke about that. She's a young woman on a reality television show. Of course they're going to call her bossy. I'm surprised Anna didn't get it with her ringleader reputation, to be perfectly honest. It's interesting to note, too, that because when Art goes to do the final quiz, he says, I got to spend all this time with Patrick, but nobody took more notes than Soundoff. She took a lot more notes than me. So it's interesting to see the battle between note-taker, observer, versus somebody who's always present around the Mullins and see who would who would win out in that battle. And don't get me wrong, by the end of this episode, I'm going to be singing Sundos's praises a lot, because she is one of the best characters they've ever cast. She's delightful. If Art doesn't beat Soundos in the final quiz, do you think he still becomes host of Bidum? Yeah, he was groomed is the wrong word, but he was set up to basically be taking over from PAM. As a known fan of the show, as someone who evidently did all right in the season even if he'd lost at the final test i think he probably still would have been the front runner i know we'll be serenading uh peter yam at the end of this but uh he had a very classy exit in the closing credits of the reunion show he did i got a little bit choked up when he said um long live them all because i'd forgot he did that i thought that was a really sweet way to go out i feel like the way he ended that that he knew that was his last episode. Yeah. Of course he did. Because usually when a host ends a season, they say everything's known, the mole's going underground, but we'll see you next year. And what he said is, everything's known, the mole will be back next year, long live the mole. He deliberately worded it so he didn't imply that he would be back. So he knew, 100%. When you think of all the different reality TV hosts, they don't really, you don't really see them do that at the end of the season when they know, oh, I'm not going to come back and and host again. Usually it's just, oh, this host isn't going to come back, and they're off to the next thing in their career. Peter Yan actually took the time to say, oh, you know what, I, I love them. I love my gig here, long live the mole, and whoever replaces me as host, uh, I'm I'm sure is going to do a great job. Yeah, usually when like shows change hosts, it usually comes out like a year or so after that the first host isn't even watching it anymore because they don't want to have to comment on it, like if people ask them about it. But um, it sounds like Peter Yarn still keeps up with it, which is good. Yeah, and he's also very much still involved with Avro, because as I mentioned, he's doing the voiceover for Dutch Hunted still, at least, was in 2022. But I don't know whether you know the story of when Art left, because it was a complete surprise. Everyone knew that he'd got his new job, but he did the usual sign-off at the end of Georgia going, the mole's going back underground, we'll see you next year. 
And then literally the day after, it got announced that he was leaving. He didn't do his victory lap on the live reunion or anything. It just got announced that he was leaving. And then about two or three days later, I think it was, they released a weird video with Rick being basically handed the reins. So Art didn't get to do what Pete Yan did in being classy and all that sort of stuff. He just kind of disappeared into the ether because of his new contract. And he knew he was leaving. Yeah, of course he did. So, and didn't you guys say that they had like some sort of round table about them all where all of them came back except for Art? So, I think for Renaissance, they basically did like one of the news shows did like a panel discussion about the show's 20th anniversary. They had uh, Angela, they had Carol, they had Peter Yarn, they had Rick, but Art wasn't there. And I don't know whether that was just, you know, scheduling or whether there was bad blood or whatever, but it was interesting that they got all four of the others, but not him. But they they did replace him randomly with like the eighth placer from the first celebrity season. So, because hmm. yeah. we thought that Carol may have been annoyed towards Venom Rex, right? so he completely fell off. But if he came back for this Renaissance uh, roundtable, you figure, well, why would Art uh, not come back, but everyone else would? I think Art got a golden handcuff deal on another network, and I don't know when that ended, because he is back doing stuff for different networks now, I think. But I suspect at the time that they did that roundtable, he was still under his golden handcuff deal and couldn't appear on the Avro. So that's probably why. I certainly, from the impression we get of Art in this reunion, do not think that he stopped watching the show. He's a super fan in this show. So one interesting thing I did notice with the intro is that the car crash noise was back for Pepine that I mentioned a few weeks ago, and um, Trust Nobody was also back. We had a week off it last week, and it's back this episode. Yeah, wasn't it during the final quiz or something? They just threw that in there? So it appeared as normal in the family photo, and then it appeared super slowly at the start of the reunion. Like, there was a good 10-second B-roll of the Vondel Kirk before it went, Trust Nobody. It's like someone forgot to push the button. And I know I joked about this with Vidum 22 of them doing a massive gap between the trust and nobody, but it's genuinely like someone in the editor's suite thought, ah, fuck, we've not done the trust nobody yet. Um, Let's just shove it here. And it ends up being about five or ten seconds later than it is in every other episode. What's funny during the challenge is Soundos making fun of Art and Patrick, saying they would have not been able to do the zip lining. They would have been too scared. I do love that they managed to send the two people in this entire cast who are most scared of heights to do a high wires course in the jungle or in the rainforest. And then I'm, oh, and then they, Art and Patrick were saying, "Oh yeah, for this, uh, for that one, uh, for that one beacon, we had to go through a river." And they, they they show them walking through the water, and I was thinking, was that really a river, or is it just so damn flooded after five episodes of constant rain? They've had a few episodes off. Off the rain, but yeah, it looked incredibly wet in this episode. And we get thunder towards the end as well, so... Yeah, the final four execution, do you think that was just an impromptu location? It was like a shack when they when they executed Karen. Well, it was the, the shack of helmets and harnesses. Yeah, and you can tell when Karen does her little, you know, exit interview with Peter Yarn, she's basically standing two steps away from the group. Because you can see like the helmet in the background during the execution, and then Karen's standing next to it when they do the interview. And one thing to notice that the rain was so loud on the audio, 
because I know for us, we're all we're mainly just reading the subtitles. I was thinking, oh man, if you, you didn't have subtitles and you were just relying on the audio, I don't know how well you could even hear what the contestants were saying since the rain soundtrack was so loud <laughs> during the execution. Yeah, this must have been a nightmare for production. But also, could it have just been that they had a challenge set up and it got washed out for the final three? So they just went straight from final four? I was going to ask that too, just because I can't... Has there been a season where they have a full episode, other than, say, the new Netflix mall, where it's just one challenge, final four execution, and then it's a barber shop and showing sound off in a hotel room, and then the final quiz? There's... Definitely been seasons with only one challenge in the finale before. Um, I think the next one in Spain only has one challenge. But Japan had two. Northern Ireland and Jordan had three. I think Mexico had two. It happens a fair bit, but I think this is maybe the last one. The key thing is it's not paired with the final four execution in the episode as well. Yeah. So you never go immediately from a challenge at final four, as you do in this one, to pretty much execution final test and then the reveal there's always something in between so i wouldn't be surprised if something got rained out here they were planning some sort of big big thing and they thought now nah, the weather's just too nasty we can't do it we're just gonna have to go straight to the test that's what i mean it was three quizzes and only one challenge in between all of it that's extremely rare so i'm thinking it ha- especially with just it seemed like there was a lot of time between when karen got executed and when they did the final quiz it almost seemed like a free day because Art and Patrick were fooling around at a barber shop for about, what, 15 minutes of the episode? And Soundos is just sitting quietly in her hotel room reviewing notes. So I couldn't help but think there had to be something that they wanted to do but couldn't. So here we are watching Art getting shaved. Or rather, when Patrick goes to get shaved, Art finds the sharpest object he could find and and puts it to Patrick's neck, asking if he's the mole. Art threatens him with a cutthroat razor. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, you got me. I'm the mole. So as she said, Art thinks that the howling monkeys are actually German shepherds, and I think you'll find the only monkey allowed to be represented on this season is the one that represented PT on last episode. And Sundos feels vindicated that she could do something that earlier in the season she would have been terrified of. Vidim is so much fun and also free therapy for her. Then there is the big debate between Patrick and Art about who is going to pick the money up, and whether that will help Art get to the final three. Very odd scene. Yeah, I couldn't work out why Patrick was even doing it, aside from maybe there was a time limit that we didn't find out about. Well, the the time limit was however long it took the girls to do the high wires course, because it's heavily implied earlier in the episode when they missed the first one that they have to keep moving, otherwise they'll lose the girls and not be able to find any money. Ah. But I don't think it's explicitly said. It's only thanks to the first argumenty bit that we actually that we actually know any of this. And the episode title is Femme Fatale as well, in the plural sense, which we never get any explanation for, I don't think. It's because the two women both get executed. Ah, that makes sense. We got an explanation. <laughs> yeah, it's quite the mind game between Art and Patrick over that last envelope where Patrick said, well, I, I want to pick it up. And Art says, okay, um... I'd rather you not, but, you know, we're not in a barber shop, so there's nothing I can do to, to stop you. 
okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna pick up this envelope then. Okay, I I, I don't want you to. I want to, but I can't I can't physically restrain you from picking up the envelope then. That's that's the conversation for about five minutes of the episode. I think the key thing that we learn in the reunion is that Patrick knew that everyone was onto him by final six. Everyone? Yeah, he says that from final six onwards he knew that everyone was onto him. Oh, so even Anna was picking him as the mole? I think Anna put a majority on him but didn't go full ticket, which is why she went. Oh, okay. So she went home at final five, right? Who went home at final six? That was Pepine? Pepe, yeah. Yeah. So he, Pepine was the last per. Well, he was definitely shocked at the reunion, so... Final five onwards is when they were all on Patrick. Yeah, I th- I think from what Patrick was saying during the reunion, he got tipped off that from from final five onwards that everyone was onto him. So it became a very lonely position as the mole. And it, it kind of feeds into this whole argument scene with Art, in that Patrick knows what the questions actually were. He knows what Art's trying to do, but he still needs to try and sound out who actually said that he would pick the money up and who didn't so that he can help out because he just wants him in the final as a friend. Which is an interesting position for the mole to be in. Yeah, the mole, because at that point, the mole isn't just trying to deflect suspicion if they know that everyone in Final Four is locked onto him. Full ticket, no one's changing their mind. And at that point, the mole is... Yeah, it's a bit of an awkward position, because we've seen this before too, where the mole can influence, and sometimes does influence, who ultimately wins the game. Yeah, if Patrick hadn't done this, and if Art had gone at Final Four, Sundos would be the winner. I'm pretty sure of that. Yeah, something tells me Karen wouldn't have won a speed uh, a speed tiebreaker. No, I think Sundos's note-taking would have carried her over the top otherwise. Annoyingly, Pete Ann doesn't tell us how close the final test was. Yeah, because in later seasons that gets specified, right? Saying, oh, the winner won with 37 or 38... Or sometimes it did come down. Has anyone gotten a perfect score on the final quiz in a Dutch version? I think it happened in a recent season for the first time ever. Frazier? Did Frazier score perfect? I can't remember. Someone scored perfect recently. But interestingly, in the season before this in Japan, he did confirm to Sana that she lost on time. And I think we did find out what their scores were as well in that reunion. Yeah, wasn't it like 37 or 38 that her and Fritz got? Yeah, it was, it was pretty damn high for both of them. So when the teams meet up, the boys refuse to confirm who grabbed the money, but Patrick works out from Karen's reaction what she put on that question as well. They found three packs for a total of €1,800 Euros of 3000 for the episode, and 22540 of 61550 for the season so far. Art and Patrick then have a debrief and tell each other everything and nothing simultaneously, and PTN actually hands the money over and says that by flying through the forest they've created their own future, and he gives Karen and Sundos respect for facing their fears, because he's actually moderately proud of them. I like how Book Patrick has to pretend like he wants to take the money, and Sundos says, no, 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 no. I said the mole didn't take the money from Peter Yan, so you're not winning this battle, Patrick. No, I do think it's really interesting that that question came up after they uh, forced change the uh, the treasure last episode. So Peter Yan confirms that Art found all 1,800 euros, and Sundos, as you said, does claim the money from Peter Yan to ensure she gets at least one question correct about the mole not taking the money from him. At a very rainy execution, Sundos then says that Karen could still be the mole as she hasn't found much money, but then again, neither have her and Art. Peter Yan says that Patrick's guaranteed a spot in the final three, as is Art thanks to his green screen, 
before Karen gets the final red screen of the game and is sent home. Margot was wearing an Elvis Presley shirt, which, I don't know, gave me PTSD from your Rowan as the mole. Who? Exactly. Exactamente. Do you think that Karen knew? That Patrick was the mole? No, that she was going home then. Uh, I think she knew there was a pretty good chance. Yeah, I, I think as soon as Art got the green screen, she knew. I think she I think she sort of worked out like Sundas was going to get through. She looked very resigned to her fate when PEM was typing her name in, which is why I say it. She looked like she knew in her heart of hearts that she was probably going as soon as Art got that green screen. It seemed like everyone just knew Soundos was really good at this game. And we don't really find that out until the probably last these last two episodes that everyone just thought, Soundos, yeah, she's really capable. Even halfway into the season is when they start deferring to her, but it doesn't really come across to the audience why they're starting to defer to Soundos's judgment more and more. No, I mean, we will get into this at the end of the episode, but Sundas's archetype is basically the comic relief of the season. She's the best character of the season by a country mile, and she's incredibly entertaining. And yet she doesn't come back for Renaissance. Because they didn't they didn't uh, get anyone who made the finale. Otherwise, I think she would have been a lock. Yeah, the aspect of her personality that, that has kind of been forgotten over time is the fact that she is bloody good at this game. To the point where she is very much a threat to Art, who's potentially the biggest superfan ever to win. She's very much a threat to him at the end of the season, because she was locked onto Patrick way quicker than Art was. And she was unlucky that, obviously, he spent so much time with Patrick. And when I said a few episodes ago, there's easily two or three people in this season who they could have brought back from Renaissance who weren't Horace. The answer to that is Karen and Sundos, 100%. Those two should have been locks to come back for Renaissance or any All-Star season if they'd got rid of the stupid rule about not making it to the final episode, in my humble opinion. Like, as much as obviously we like Horace, he's not a patch on Karen or Sundos in terms of entertainment. And Sundos would have been a huge threat if she was nearly as good in Renaissance as she was in this season to actually win the whole game. So Patrick says he never expected her to go home. Since episode one, she's been his top suspect. Art is also shocked. He thought he'd get to the final three with her and Patrick, presumably. And she tells Peter Yan that she feels like she's been duped. You can't trust anyone in this game, but she did a little to her detriment. And it was Art that she trusted. Now we're going to have to eulogise Karen now, sadly. As much as I don't want to. She made it far. Yeah. Against all her fears, she did everything she was asked to do. Because, lest we forget, she crossed the Devil's Door, despite being absolutely terrified. She did extremely well at deciphering who the mole was and hanging in there for someone who didn't understand half of the challenges or maybe even some of the rules to the show. Yeah. If they brought back people from this season, Karen should be talked about to be brought back, because she was brilliant. Yeah, she only lost to Art and Soundos. She probably should have been a bigger character in the season than she actually was. Um, but because the season has so much of Patrick and Art being gross and then Papine stealing airtime with all his clownery, none of the women really got that much of a chance to shine. No. Yeah, if this was Japan, Karen and Soundos would have probably had more content. Yeah. Also, she's 39. Is this, is this the same thing as we went through in Hong Kong, Philippines? She's not, actually. She's now 59. <laughs> How old is off? 
She's 39. <laughs> yeah, Karen was an absolute star in this season. And I'm so glad that we got 10 episodes of her. I'm so glad that she was the recipient of the carryover elimination. Because she's just an absolute delight in every moment that we see of her this season. Oh, yeah. God, imagine how unbearable it would have been if we had a carryover elimination of Yarn. And also, bear in mind, she drove Patrick absolutely insane. Which is obviously brilliant. Yeah, which is obviously so much of a benefit for her being in this season. She was involved in the show from 2016 onwards. I think she might actually be a producer on the show now. For Vidim? Yeah. Yeah, since 2016, she's been the candidate supervisor on the show. So she is actually still very much involved in the show, which probably explains why she didn't come back. Yeah. Oh, yeah, once you're a producer, yeah, you can't be brought back into the fold. Probably explains why they brought Horace back, too. Because I, I, I don't think he would have been top of their list otherwise. So her montage is almost entirely the Heights challenges that she did, as well as, you know, reading things out in a the theatre. And Sundos says that they started dreaming about making the finals together. She would have loved to compete alongside her, win or lose. She just did the zip lines because Karen coached her through it. And Karen is a good egg. And after they say goodbye to Karen, they head to the hotel and Art struggles to deal with Sundos's suitcase for the final time. And she <laughs> says that she packed for three weeks. And they all have their own rooms for once, and it devolves into a two-on-one pillar fight, just like most of Logan's videos. Yeah, I was about to. I even wrote down my. I wrote down my notes. This is the least sexiest pillow fight I've ever seen. <laughs> what? You're not a fan of watching Art get pounded? <laughs> nope, it's not at the top of the queue. That's for sure. Art isn't the number one person in this season for Logan wanting to see him get impounded. <laughs> I like how when they each have their own hotel rooms, they show. Patrick flopping over and then Soundo saying, I've got a blow dryer. That's all she was waiting for for three weeks was a blow dryer. She didn't care about anything else. It was just the fact she had a blow dryer finally. <laughs> just give me the red screen now. I'm good. And I, I love that, you know, despite this episode, not really having that much lag, considering there's not that much in it, we get a full 38 second montage of local life set to some Nicaraguan pop song here. Yeah, that was overly long. I tuned out at that part. I was just thinking, oh, is this supposed to be a montage? Or what's... There There really had to be a challenge that was cancelled. They're thinking, oh god, how do we fill up these 50 minutes? I mean, this point of the episode, I have like five notes over the next ten minutes of this episode. Because it's just, oh, I suspect this person. But it could also be the other person. Ad nauseum for ten minutes. And, you know, art threatening Patrick with a cutthroat razor. Art gets one more sexist joke thrown in at the barber shop when I think it's when he's getting shaved, and he's like, "Wow, yeah, this is a really good barber shop. You know, this is a really good shave. Too bad Soundos isn't here to shave her legs." Thinking, did he just did he just insult Soundos for having hairy legs? Don't worry, it's all right. The barber tries to drown him in a face towel. <laughs> yeah, the little face towels just start stuffing. I th- I was thinking, is he is he about to be waterboarded by Julio? The barber has just got the nod off one of the producers just going, can you please just shut him up for once? Just stop him saying all this sexist bullshit. Just smother him if you need to. Can you do the Futurama parody of the Barber of Seville and do what uh, Harold Zoid did during that film? All they need to do is practice with the the balloons. As soon as they're good on the balloons, they can shave whatever they want. (laughs) Yep. 
Sure, you forgot your hat. So PTN tells us that the cards for the finale have been dealt. While Karen flies home, the other three will complete the final test. One will leave with a nice prize, one will return home empty-handed, and one will reveal themselves as the mole. When they were doing the final quiz, it should have cut between all three of them, and then Karen just sitting idly in, a, in an airplane back to Amsterdam. Karen just sitting in Schiphol waiting to get through the bloody security queues again. <laughs> I'm genuinely terrified when I fly next week that the queues are going to be as bad as they were in Schiphol because I've not flown since. I saw articles that they're supposed to be just a, what was that, two weeks ago I think I saw that they said you still just need to avoid Amsterdam until until 2023. Honestly, I know I mentioned this on the podcast, it was nightmarish going through that queue at at Schiphol. I've never seen an airport that rammed, or an airport security queue that rammed. It was awful. Don't worry. In terms of airports, Amsterdam is the Schiphol Mall. (laughs) See, the problem is I'm going to have to cut this section, and now I can't actually call it Schiphol Mall. (laughs) And Art's chin really bleeds at the end of his shave. Like, there's the... Ew, there's a lot of nicks and scratches and just outright bleeding. Yeah, that was because he kept saying sex is bullshit and Julio just got bored of it. He's just like, yeah, every time now I'm just going to nick you with this razor. You need to learn your lesson art. And then I'm going to put some sort of alcohol on it just to make sure it burns even more. Yeah, who, who knew that Julio, the Nicaraguan barber, was a second wave feminist? Did not see that plot twist coming. So they don't even know where their final test is going to actually take place. They just get lumped on the bus in their new clothes, in the case of Patrick and Sundas, and stained shirt, in the case of Art. And they're all expecting one final twist, but it appears that they're just going to an abandoned cathedral. And it is now time for the final test. 40 questions about the identity and actions of the mole throughout the entire season. Whoever knows the most will go home with the entire pot, which currently stands at €22,540, and also be the person to unmask the mole. And the test begins with a path featuring items from the episodes, and the candidates answering by picking objects that fit with their mole. We learned some really random things about the final three here, where Patrick sees spinach, and then he says, yeah, Art really doesn't like spinach. I'm thinking, Art must not be a fan of Popeye the Sailor Man either. Do you like this twist to the final test? I thought it was interesting that they would clearly know, based on what they've learned about each other, that you know, one object refers to a specific person. As long as it's really clear-cut and it's and you, there isn't any grey area as to who could be what object, I'm fine with this being the first few questions on a final quiz. It seemed to me like it was about 20 questions with the props and then just the normal 20 questions with the laptop. And I, I think doing it that way does sort of break up the monotony of the test scene. But I don't know whether it really added that much otherwise. It was at least 11. We saw 11 questions that weren't on the laptop. But also I think it's very interesting thematically because obviously we talk ad nauseum about how the better versions of the mole, mainly the Dutch and Belgian versions, have a theme to the season. And sometimes it's really subtle, sometimes it's very much in your face like the Greece season. But this one is very interesting because it is basically a way for them to bookend the season with the Path of Temptation. Because it's pretty much the same setup as the Path of Temptation. It's just they're not earning advantages for the game anymore, but they're actually answering the final test. So I think it's a very clever way of them harking back to the Path of Temptation without actually nakedly saying it. 
What's interesting to note is that there is a Dutch rock band named Flinky Namen. You're Flinky Namen. You're, you're a Flinky Namen. Your mom's a Flinky Namen. <laughs> and apparently Soundos is a big fan of Flinky Namen. Oh, she loves a Flinky Namen. <laughs> Who wouldn't? It's Flinky Namen. <laughs> Nobody Google Flinky Namen unless it's on safe search. Yeah. So the first item table is the exemption route and what them all took. Sundust got nothing, Art got five yokers and Patrick got yokers for episode four. The next table is the food that the mole doesn't like, either fatty meat in the case of Patrick, spinach for Art, or cauliflower for Sundust. The third table is the laser game, whether the mole was killed by a sniper, a booby trap, or a landmine. Art being landmine, Patrick booby trap, and Sundust a sniper. And the fourth one is delightful because it's the photo that they took in the PTN eyebrow challenge. Birds for Sundust. Harmony for Art, and we do get to see the wonderful eyebrow reaction again, or Sweets in the case of Patrick. The hospital is the topic of the fifth table. Patrick was Miriana, Art was Jan, and Sundos was Papine. Sundos then finds the table asking if the mole found a blue tube in the drowning challenge, and she says yes. The next table is the mole's favourite drink, and we don't actually find out who everything refers to, but we're assuming from Sundos's reaction that whiskey is Patrick's one. And I'd guess, knowing Art, he probably went for the red wine, which leaves Sundos with the champagne, but it might be the other way around. I don't think art is a champagne type. No, I think art is probably more likely red wine of the three. Yeah. Uh, she then finds a map asking where the mole was in the lighthouse challenge, either on the beach or in the lighthouse. And she finds sheets from the nature reserve and takes the one with the cross on it. Art then finds the table with the mole's favourite CD on it. and He rules his own out, leaving just James Taylor and Flinky Norman. And he picks James Taylor. The next table is which bus the mole was on, winner or loser, and whether the pot will be 25,540 or 19,540. And we're reminded that Patrick, being the mole, would cost some 3,000 euros. Art then finds a length of cable and is asked how far the mole walked, either 8 metres in the case of Patrick, 0 in the case of Sundars, or 111 in his own case. And then the final table that we see is Art finding the money chest and being asked how quickly the mole got down there. And being perfectly honest, everyone suspects Patrick, and Patrick allegedly suspects Art. He has to suspect uh, somebody. He can't just say, well, ah, screw it, it's me. Everyone, I mean, who, who am I kidding at this point? Clearly it's me. You say that, but he did literally say in episode 8, oh yeah, you got me, I'm the mole. Yeah. They don't mention that on the episode, but he did say that in, in an episode. Do we have access to what the public thought at the time of the finale, if it was just, yeah, Patrick's it? Don't think so. I've not found it anywhere. The problem is the Vidim website from sort of this era of Vidim is very much not archived properly. It's very tough to find anything on those websites. I did find the extra hidden clues, but that's about it. There weren't that many. Oh, good. When we get to the live finales, they do tend to mention... Who um, who the biggest suspect of the Netherlands is, especially when they get the app and stuff, and they've actually got proper stats on it. So Sundas says that she's very proud she made it, and if she wins, that's an extra bonus. It's cheesy, but she's just so glad to make it to the end. And Patrick is the happiest man on earth for making it. He's like a little kid in a toy shop. Art had several objectives coming into the season. Number one was not going home first. Number two was getting to the second country when he found out that they were travelling to two countries. And number three was making it to the finale. There aren't many people who can say that they have done that. PTN meets him at the ruined altar, because of course he does, and he says that Sundas has guts, but doesn't dare to do anything. If she wins, she's cost herself a lot of money. If she's the mole, she did an excellent job at looting the pots. 
Humour was her smokescreen, and a mole couldn't ask for a better disguise. However, she is not the winner, and she's not the mole. She's a loser! <laughs> and she's immediately banished and thrown into a volcano. Yeah, Peter Yan just pulls a lever, and it's just standing us going, ah! <laughs> yeah, just stand on these handy trapdoors I've built into this ruined cathedral. <laughs> Release the hounds. The howler monkeys? Ashes to ashes, dust to dust, Sundos, you're dead to us. Ah! Imagine if it was Karen in this position. Karen, you are not the mole, and you are not the winner. Oh, so, which which role am I then? So if I'm not the mole, I'm not the winner, what? There's so many possibilities. Could I be the winner? That's all right. Sundos banished, Karen vanished, and a muerto, as they say in Spanish. I, I love how backhanded all of Peter Yard's talking about these final three years because like he basically calls Sundas chicken shit scared of everything but then he's like ah you're very smart but you're also a twat (laughs) (laughs) ah you're very clever but Christ you get on my nerves (laughs) every time I walk by you Art all I'm thinking about is how can I throat punch you without getting in trouble the answer may surprise you yeah, it's just, I wish it could have been way more backhand compliments, especially towards, towards Patrick. Patrick, you were the friend to everybody, but do you remember your DOI from a few years ago? That wasn't very good now, was it? So Sundos, not being winner or mole, just leaves Patrick and Art. Art was calculating and keen in his actions, he made friends and deals, but is harsh and doesn't hesitate to eliminate his allies when their usefulness is over. In other words, he's a massive user. He's also very much hiding his delirium at knowing already that he's won as soon as Sundas is announced to not be the winner. He would make a great mole. Patrick was the friend to all candidates, a bit clumsy and easygoing, but when the mole made an offer, he took it without hesitation and is now in the finale as friend of both candidates and mole. But are they one and the same? One of them is the winner, and one of them is the mole. V. S. De Mole. You'll find out next week. But you won't, because we're about to talk about it. Welcome to next week. It's Patrick! <laughs> <laughs> Do a Logan fast-forward noise. <laughs> <laughs> and then just like the, the, the more you know jingle at the end. <laughs> I also love how the last week montage is basically just, oh no, we miss Karen so much. Yeah, Like, there's nothing about Art and Patrick at all. It's just, oh, Karen was amazing and Sundos isn't the winner on Mole. Uh, so Peter Yen is outside the Vonalkirk and it is significantly colder than when they left in Nicaragua. But somehow not as wet. It's extremely dry. It's like after a pillow fight with Art, everything's just extremely dry for the reveal. Presumably this was the week before the reunion aired, or maybe the week before the finale aired because they did have a clip in the next time trailer. So... That would have been probably maybe March 2011, with it being really snowy. Maybe the end of February. I like how Peter Yan asked Mariana a question, but I did not take any note of it, and I completely forgot what that interaction was. It really made me laugh with them walking up in pairs, and obviously the first pair we see is Yan and Mariana, and obviously Mariana doesn't say a word in that entire scene. Yeah. 
I wrote down sort of, you know, as is emblematic of the season, we could start by showing the opinions of any of the women, including those who made it deep in the game, or we could start by having Yarn mope about being wrong. Yeah, having Yarn basically say that he hasn't left his sofa in two weeks. I had so many yokers, and I was all in on art for so many episodes. Well, just from a production point of view, they had to have shown them the finale before they actually started filming the reunion, because they knew that Sundos wasn't the mole or the winner. So they must have shown the first seven boots, or at least the first six, and not Karen, the finale, so that they knew where everyone was up to, and then had Karen and Sundos walk in afterwards. And we also hear from Hannah, who, yeah, I've forgotten about her already. Best week of her life, whatever. Hannah with an H. But my favourite quote of the entire pair of episodes, I would say, is Sundos saying she doesn't have children yet, but she already knows that filming Viesta Mole would be more fun than having children. <laughs> and the reason that this is so much fun is because Sundos is currently now 40 years of age, with a seven-year-old daughter, and is currently pregnant with her second child, as of yeah. the time of recording. Because I did have to Google this to make sure that Sundos did have a child, as I thought she did. Well, she just has to, has to name her kid the more. Yeah, true. But uh, yeah, 11, 12 years after she filmed this, she does now actually have children. I'm going to guess her opinion probably changed. <laughs> You'd hope so. I think the best bit is if if I'm working the timing right, that means her kid would have been about yeah, a year old when she went and did the Dutch version of Survivor and came runner-up again. Oh, she was runner-up on Expedition Robinson? Yeah. Yeah, Sundos made a deep run in Expedition Robinson. Yeah. She didn't get enough jury votes? I don't think so. Presumably just because she's fun to be around. Yeah. So Peter Yan then asked if everyone enjoyed themselves, and looking at his expression, Peter Yan very much enjoyed himself in this reunion. He was having a blast. Oh, yeah. Do you see how much champagne was on that table? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't know what the other contestants were drinking. Appropriately, I suspect he may have had a bit of Dutch courage. Because he was very much um, enthusiastic in his role as host of the mole here. If he had any more Dutch courage, he'd be invading stupid, sexy Flanders. And then Wallonia. Um, yeah, Sundos did lose uh, the jury vote, by the way. Against two Art? Uh, against a judo player. A judoka? Yeah, a judoka. Called Carlos Platier Luna. Has that person been on video? <laughs> no. Oh. Vidum 23. Yeah, but there is a lot of crossover between the two shows. There is. As we mentioned in the Hong Kong-Philippines episode, there is a lot of crossover, just not in Hong Kong and Philippines. Because it's always Vidum, Expedition Robinson, and Slim Demands for are like the three shows a bunch of these people tend to do, right? Yeah. Well, perfectly conveniently, I'm about to say that Sundos did this Slim Demands in 2012. Was she runner-up? <laughs> <laughs> It doesn't say so on her uh, Wikipedia page, in Dutch at least. Oh, so we have to DM her on Instagram? How did you do on the Slims the Men's sound us? Appropriately, it was actually the same season that Aryan won. But was she runner-up? <laughs> she didn't make final three now. Oh. But by the look of things, she lasted three episodes. Also in that season, um, out of pure interest for you guys, Sophie van den Enk. Yeah. Off of uh, Hong Kong, Philippines. Cecile Narinx. Ooh. I know you don't know who that is yet, Logan, but... I will yeah. one day. Yeah. <laughs> she's fun. She is. She's very fun. Yeah. She's she's the best person in a season that has Ellie Lust in it. Oh, Dominican Republic. Okay. Also in that season was Thomas from season 22, and the brother of Arf. Oh. 
What's his name? Is he 37? Yela is his name. Spelled like jelly, but with an E instead of a Y at the end. Oh, okay. I thought it would be funny if they were, if it was like a, if Off's name starts with double A, if his name started with like double Y or double Z or something. In the season a year and a bit afterwards, the top three were Owen, Yeroen, and Marguerite. I'm going to say they were maybe not actually the Slimster Men's of the Netherlands. Yeah, also in that season was Anamika, uh, Tanya was in there as well. And then the one after that was um, Art winning and Diedrich being third. Whew, we went right down, we went way down the rabbit hole there for about 10 minutes. Oh, Inception. Yeah, don't worry, if we went any further down the rabbit hole, Angela would have started seeing Private Dancer. Yeah, good point. So yeah, everyone enjoyed their experience, I think, apart from Jan, who hasn't left his cell for in two weeks. Art and Patrick then come in for the reveal, and we flash back to Peter Yan explaining why both could be the mole and Art trying to hide his glee at knowing he's won. He then asks the question of who the mole is, and time goes backwards. All the way back to the bus ride in episode one, and Patrick taking off his terrible wig and glasses, and revealing he's the mole. Horace, you saw him. How did you not know who the mole was, you dumbass? <laughs> oh, Peter Yan is just such a <laughs> dick to these people in the reunion. <laughs> Pepine is shocked when he sees this, Patrick. I thought he was going to have a heart attack right there. He yeah. just he just has a stunned expression. Goes, what? Is it really true? And then Pidion's just like, I think some of you are in need of some mental care. <laughs> yeah. You just see psychiatrists that work for Avro come out walking in pairs. The best thing is Logan doesn't know what the banner is for this episode yet, and there is a better reaction than Pepine being gobsmacked at Patrick being the mole. Is it Soundos reacting to Yan being completely inept at Vidim? Nope. No, it's um, it's a Peter Yan moment, obviously, later in this episode. <laughs> so the reveal of Patrick as mole means that they earned minus 3,000 of 3,000 euros in the episode, and as a result, 19,540 of 64,550 for the season as a whole. I wonder now that they know that they lost the three thousand, if they just took the three thousand euros and just used it for like storing cocaine or something. Like, well, sorry, Art, we're just going to use the three thousand euros on something else. May as well celebrate. They had to pay the boat driver. Yeah, they used it to buy some Wellington boots for next season. Because weirdly, he won't accept ping pong balls. But you don't know how valuable those ping pong balls are. <laughs> so. Just with Yan, there was this bizarre thing when Yan and Art were suspecting each other how Yan said, well, the reason why I was onto Art is because we are in Teatro El Santa Ana, which is an anagram for Art Least Ana, which means Art Reads Hannah, I think. Yeah. Doing some Dutch lately. I've actually been recognizing more and more words without needing the subtitles. That's another story, but I'm thinking... That's so such a stretch. It reminds me of that episode of South Park when Kanye West doesn't understand the fish uh, sticks joke and he has to get out like a chart and use a marker and say, well, what do we know about fish sticks? They're breaded. And just it was just such a such a stretch for Jan to think that's why art had to be the mole other than the money thing. I, I think my favorite thing about it is not only are they not the right letters, they're not even the right number of letters. <laughs> so I don't know where he got it from. I was trying to work it out because I'm like, you can't make laced out of Teatro de Santa Ana. Because there's no L. there's no L. Yeah. The only L here is Jan because he's a massive loser. 
<laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> so Karen says that she's relieved that it's not art. She felt so betrayed when she left. Norris says it's impressive how much he trusted Patrick. Patrick, as I said earlier, says that he found it very hard in the second half of the season when everybody was suspecting him, despite him taking a very social position throughout the season, and he felt isolated as a result. Well, it didn't help that in the first half of the season, Art's strategy was for people to suspect Patrick, so he was under a microscope from the beginning and still had to overcome that to fool some people. There was just tasks where Patrick said, what the hell was I supposed to do? <laughs> Especially like the Romeo and Juliet task. Oh, well, Patrick's not going to recruit people because he doesn't speak Spanish and he can't force himself into that role. So he said, well, I guess I'll just help the group burn money. Thanks, guys. Well, we did actually speculate at the time that the mold basically just took a day off on that challenge, just like Yan did with the bridge painting, just because it's one of those challenges where, yeah, it's just a fun experience to do and if they make a bit of money out of it, they make a bit of money, whatever. I will say, though, that Patrick at least had a decent strategy to deflect some attention by sticking with Art, because Art was the only one who was really screwing up consistently or putting himself in roles where he was losing money for the group. So Patrick didn't get suspected by everybody uh, during the season. At least he went all the way till Final Five until people were truly onto him. Yeah, I think from what was implied in the reunion, Sundos was onto him pretty much from minute one. And then everyone else kind of followed at final five or so. And they also replayed the interaction during the photo challenge where <laughs> with the Hey Peter Yan, do you want to hear what happened with my photo? No. No, no. I, I I couldn't give less of a damn about it. Moving on. Do we know if Sundos saw Patrick on the bus and then just sort of like, they never showed it? Horace is the only one we know for certain. But he didn't obviously know it was Patrick. He just saw the terrible wig and glasses and hat. Yeah, I wondered if maybe Sundas realised there was a wig and then sort of maybe didn't notice straight away, but as soon as they said, you're on the bus with the mole, she sort of worked out from, let's say, Patrick having a different body shape than everyone else. Yeah, I don't know. And then Sundas has some big reactions to how inept Yan was at Vidum, really. Where Peter Yan says, well, Yan, why didn't you play your Yokers? And then he says, well, I just went all in on, it, on art every episode from episode one. And Soundos is just blowing away, saying, what? Are you serious? From episode one, you went all in on art and just stuck with that strategy and the biggest case of Tunnel Vizzy in Bidim history? And then Yan says, yeah, I didn't even pay attention to any other contestants. I didn't even take notes on anybody else. I only took notes on art in my journal. Meanwhile, I think Soundos filled her journal from front cover to back cover with notes about everybody. Interestingly, as of the time of recording, this did actually come up on the Bothers Bar Discord this week. Is Yan one of the most inept test takers in Vidum history? Yes. Well, I, I don't know how you can be much worse than be all in on one person from episode one and only take notes on that one person and ignore... Every single person in the cast. That's as bad as it gets, right? Other than thinking that you're the mole. <laughs> yeah, I cannot think of someone more inept at taking tests who lasted more than like one or two tests than, yeah. Yeah. The only other people I can think of are people 
like, was it Daphne in Hong Kong Philippines who sort of failed the first test and then didn't change their strategy? Right, where she stuck with one person. Yeah, there's been like a couple of people like that over the years, but that's about it. I wonder what people would react to a season if somebody was like Yan, but instead of suspecting Art, he just happened to suspect Patrick. And it was just because of an anagram of like Patrick least Hannah or something like that. Yan's tactic in theory, if you were on the right track, will see you be a hero in the end. But the problem is, you've only got a one in nine chance of being on the right track immediately. You need to actually have a little bit of common sense. And he just doesn't. Even Art says, Yan slowly revealed himself to be some sort of stalker during filming. Well, yeah, because he was obsessed with Art. He's not that into you. Art doesn't take any of my phone calls. So Patrick says he enjoyed being on the bus with everyone, even though Horace looked right at him. In the fireworks, he wanted to come up with the code quickly, but Horace was a thorn in his side and basically came up with the same thing that he'd been trained to suggest. In the theatre, Art called Patrick out, assuming he was a candidate, but he wasn't. And he had to redirect attention away from himself. And they both wrote something using the word topo to attract suspicion. And Sundos was already on to Patrick, so wasn't too happy with that tactic. Art really did not make friends in that theatre challenge. Because Patrick hated him for, you know, drawing attention to him. And Sundos hated him for drawing attention to Patrick. Yeah, those were those were some funny confessionals. Patrick saying, how the hell did I end up in this mess? What am I supposed to do with this? So in the minefield, he could have let himself get shot, but he went for a different tactic, losing early on and not participating. And Yan was misled by Art getting to the end. Art didn't get shot deliberately, but he was suspicious of Yan as the mole, as the mole lives under the ground. Thank you, Corbin Burnson. And he woke Patrick up in the night by shouting or screaming, Yan is the mole in his sleep. And believe me, I'm pretty sure that was not the only dream that people woke up from during the season that involved Yan. Mainly those Salvadorian schoolgirls. At the Living Pitch Challenge, Patrick wanted to be early in the line and correct, relying on people after relying on people after him getting it wrong. He reasoned that the goal of the mole is to keep money from the pots, but also to not be spotted quickly. And unfortunately for him, he was spotted quickly. And this sabotage was more about avoiding suspicion than keeping money from the pot. At the bus race, he wanted to create some sympathy by winning the money and then having it taken away, but it didn't work out how he expected when he knackered the gearbox. And Yan discounted him as a result of this challenge, as he thought that the mole would not knacker a gearbox in the pursuit of losing the money. I think Yan kind of discounted the fact that those buses were shit. Well, yeah, that as well. Yeah, Patrick won by accident. Yeah, so I mean, most of his sabotages are... Uh, the sort of things that you would expect, being perfectly honest. I could rattle through all the ones. We saw loads of them in the episode, but most of them are exactly what you'd suspect a mole would do in his position. We did see a lot of his sabotages this season. Uh, you know, a lot better than, say, five challenges out of 16, and then one of them, you, did, you just didn't do anything. Yeah, they did that for Kim, though, as well. Kim had pretty much all of her sabotages shown on the reunion. So I don't know whether this is just kind of a hallmark of this era of Vidim. Because we suspected when we did Japan that it was because Kim was not necessarily a well-liked mole, and as a result they wanted to sort of tip the scale back in her favour a little. It's been a while since I've rewatched uh, Northern Ireland and Jordan, but I think it's the same there as well. Yeah, I think it is just kind of a hallmark of this era of Vidim, that they do put a lot of attention on the reunion into what the mole actually did. Which is good, because you don't want to feel like a mole is a Kazi. 
The one that I do want to draw attention to, though, is of course the Lighthouse Challenge, because he just tried not to look at it. He was doing confessionals to the camera, just going, yeah, I'm just pretending not to see the big-ass letters that are currently written on that lighthouse. But the best bit of the entire pair of episodes is us seeing Karen stomp over to Patrick and basically go, what the fuck are you doing? But Peter Yan mocking it to her in the reunion. <laughs> Bindle sent me this gif this morning when um, when he watched the episode and was like, I'd forgotten that this happens, and it's just delightfully bitchy from Peter Oh, Yan. and Peter Yan imitates Karen. <laughs> yeah, he just kind of pretends he's stomping over to Patrick yeah. as her and does a funny face. And unsurprisingly, given my love of Peter Yan and given this is his last episode, that is going to be the banner. <laughs> because even if Bindles hadn't pointed it out, it really made me laugh. The other bit of bad luck that Patrick had was when Soundos randomly guessed Execushi. And he's like, how? How do you get Execushi from that? We only did like... Three letters. <laughs> I think not even three, was it? Wasn't it like two and a half or barely two? Or one and a half? They were on their third letter, I think, where time was called. Barely two. We also do see the draw for the Final Four exemption, and he literally did nothing for most of the challenge while nobody was around, and says that he wouldn't have liked to be doing Vidim in somewhere like Iceland. Which is really interesting, because that's where they go next season. Oh, really? I thought it was the season. I thought it was swapped. That's hilarious. No, it was swapped. It was... It was supposed to be Morocco and Spain, but then because of the Arab Spring, they basically decided it wasn't safe enough to do Morocco. So, you know, pretty much the only place they could find on short notice that was remote enough to avoid spoilers was Iceland. Yeah. So the next season after this is Iceland and then Spain. Okay, that's even funnier. Yeah, you don't get a lot of interaction with people in Iceland. It's it's basically like a COVID season. I think there's one challenge where you see another person in four episodes. Was she carrying shopping bags? No, but she was leading the teams around. Yeah, it's just really funny that he jokes about not wanting to do it in Iceland, and then, you know, that is actually where they end up going. Oh, I thought it was like the season before, like, oh, I'm glad I missed out on that, but I didn't know. He specifically singles out the one country where they go film at the start of next season. Mm. That's just perfect. Well, the, the season before, as you well know, is Japan. Right. Or I meant, like, I guess two seasons before. But yeah, he's like, oh man, I'm glad. I really hate that Iceland country. I'm glad I didn't film it there. It's the worst country in the world. I couldn't imagine doing the show there. If I had to film Vidim there, I'd freaking kill myself before before filming started. It's like Amazing Race contestants bitching about having to go to India and then get opening a clue that says, go to India. Yeah. It's a bit of foreshadowing Schadenfreude. Yeah. So Peter Yan then crowns out as the winner. He's especially proud because of how good Patrick was as a mole and how good a friend Patrick was to the rest of the group. He's a huge fan of the show, and it makes it even better that he's a winner of the show now as well. Spoilers, he won't just be a winner next season. And we then briefly get the hidden clues, which I actually quite like. Yeah. There's some deliciously nasty ones in here, beginning with the you-can-work-out-the-first-seven-boots one. And the goat on the bus, when I when they showed the goat, <laughs> all I could think is, oh, the goat, what's it going to be? That the That's Patrick's Zodiac sign? Yeah. Yep, that's what it is. And, and I kept mentioning the goat when we were recording these episodes, just so it would be fresh in your mind every single week. 
I'll let you in on a little secret. After the first episode recording, me and Bindle said, he didn't pick up on the goat hints, did he? We're going to have to keep talking about the goat during this season. Yeah. So Bindles has been doing his goat references deliberately for you. I see. My favourite thing about the test question number thing is it's not actually true because you never see Miriana answer a question. Well, you never see Miriana on the screen. I'm, I'm pretty sure she was a CGI inclusion for the season when they realised they only had nine players. Yeah. So you see everyone from, uh, like, all of the genuine contestants answer the, the question for their last episode, except for Sundos, who's shown answering uh, who is the mole, Patrick, who's shown answering who is the mole, and Miriana, who I don't think has ever shown answering any. But, like, the other, the other six eliminated players and Art all get the right episodes. And the first thing on the bus was a goat, which, as we said, Patrick was born in the year of the goats, and the piss was actually a clue. Mm. And the 11th mole was linked to the number 11, as we hear Patrick and Horace are in room 11 in the first episode, and we also see him walk past it. And as always, the titles were clues. Episode 4's was Something Is What It Seems, and that was a reference to Peter Yan saying, Feast a mole, Patrick. And episode 5 was uh, Land in Sight, which was a reference to him and Karen making Nicaragua's flag in the photo challenge. Were there any other good hidden clues? So... I looked up what I could see. The basically all of the online hints were sort of, oh, the mole tweeted out this sort of thing, sort of stuff. Apparently, there were a lot of tweets with the words "IC," which in Dutch is a homophone for "XI," the Roman numerals for eleven. A lot of the time, Patrick was covering his eyes at the executions because moles are blind. There's two that weren't mentioned. That I just want to bring up. Patrick is the only person when they do the intros of everybody in the first episode. He's the only person whose clip contains someone who'd been on the mole before. Normally you get about two or three of them a season. He's is the only one. And in the bus, directly before you see, I think Mariano, whoever it was, saying, oh, it's blocked, I couldn't get down the back to have a look, you see Patrick in the middle of the bus. Like, Patrick is halfway down the bus compared to everybody else being, like, two rows away from the front. There's two that I want to bring up, one of which I have already brought up, which is him literally saying on top of the volcano, I'm the mole, you got me. And the other one was the one that I um, mentioned to you when we'd finished recording last episode, which is that when Patrick gets the exemption for the final four, he says something along the lines of, I've got an exemption for the finale, and it's got my name written on it, which is, of course, a reference to the mole being on the exemptions. Yeah, there's not really a lot of extra hidden clues. There is one more sabotage that that they didn't uh, point out in the episode, which I thought they did, and I just forgot about during the tour challenge where they're listening to the facts, he basically sort of brushes over, like, I assume he knows what the facts are going to be in the, in the questions. And him and Karen, Karen basically asks him if he's taking notes right after the tour guide says the guide was the guy who discovered the plant was German. And Patrick is like, yeah, yeah, I'm taking notes. And then he starts rattling off the things about five seconds before that. So you forget all about the German. Oh, and as we said, Peter Yan signs off the season by saying the mole will return and long live the mole. Long live Peter Yan. Yeah. I know I've mentioned it before, but Peter Yan would be an ultimate get for an interview and I would be absolutely terrified of him. Oh yeah. I would be equal parts incredibly excited and utterly shit scared of him roasting me. Can you imagine him telling us we need mental care after doing historians for this show? Absolutely. He would say much worse than that. Oh, yeah. Because that's him in a polite setting. 
I suppose we kind of have to eulogise PEN now. As much as I don't want to, and as much as, you know, there are still, what, two PEN seasons we've not done? Let's just do the other Peter Yan seasons. Yeah, there's a non-zero chance that, you know, we might be talking about PEN and historians again, but this is the end of the PEN era. What a hilarious host. Yeah. He doesn't really have a bad season, because all four of them are really good. Maybe Mexico is a bit weaker, just because it's got a slow start. But even by the end of that one, it's a really good season. Yeah, I think the key thing is, he obviously thoroughly enjoys doing the show, because he wouldn't have done four seasons if he didn't enjoy it. Yeah. But also, he really doesn't care about these people. Oh, no. And he makes it blatantly obvious from minute one that he doesn't care about these people. <laughs> and he just, he enjoys basically Statler and Waldorfing it, and just sitting back and sniping at people. And it's quite appropriate that they represented him with a monkey in last episode because all he does is sit up in a tree and fling shit at people. <laughs> and it's delightful to watch. Yeah, it's delightful to see feces being flung at Dutch people. Don't give Papa Bear any ideas. <laughs> it's a challenge for next season. But, yeah, I mean, Pete Yan is absolutely one of a kind. They're brilliant at picking mole hosts, and obviously we've talked about the Spy Chief tropes before. And Pete Yan is very much the five minutes away from retirement spy chief or police chief, where he's just kind of waiting for these people to fuck off and leave him alone. And yet, when you get him with someone like Karen, who he's obviously friends with from the reaction of her stomping up the beach and stuff, they're obviously friends in real life and he's allowed to take the piss out of her. And that just really adds to the fun when he gets around people who he's comfortable with and he's allowed to take the piss out of with very little repercussions. I will say on a rewatch, I'd forgotten how much of a dickhead Art is in this season. Yeah, he's awful. And it's a huge benefit that he is a good host when he takes over from Peter Yan, because he is a complete colossal dickwad in this season. Yeah, because he hosts more, the most seasons out of everybody, right? Yep. Yeah, he did eight, was it? Seven plus the junior one, so eight, yeah. Yeah, he did eight seasons, and Rick, assuming he hasn't quit after season 23, is on, what, six now? And then Pity Yarn did four, Carol did two, Angela did five. And then some other random idiot did one junior season. Yeah, I do obviously like Art as a host, but I think him and Patrick was a great pair for them, but not necessarily a great pair for the season. And if we'd had a little bit more airtime from the other two people in the final four who were significantly more entertaining than those two, I think it would have been to the season's benefit. I do love this season. I love this season just as much as I loved it when we had the idea of doing this as our next historians. And surprise, because, you know, as I said at the start of the episode, today as we're recording this is the day that Marika put the subtitles up and me and Bindles have already been on the Discord going, oh, that sounds like a great idea for a mole historians, but sadly it'll have to be 2024 or later. Surprise, bitches. It's now. Hi. I do love El Salvador and Nicaragua, but I do think it is, because of the necessity of the ending of the season, basically just the Patrick and Art season. And I think maybe they should have given us a bit more Sundos and Karen. Yeah, because they really don't come to life till the end, and then it, it hurts it when neither of them win or is the mole. Yeah, there's, there's very little payoff for the huge spike in airtime that Karen gets in episode 9, for example. Because she gets a massive spike in airtime. She gets like 50, 60% of the confessionals and then gets cut halfway through episode 10. 
And Soundo should have been a bigger character than how she was portrayed, not just be the comedic relief where, that mm. everyone just writes off as not being the mole. She was actually a really, really bright, perhaps the most intelligent contestant of the season, maybe even more so than Art. Yeah. Well, it's like I said earlier, her archetype is basically just the comic relief, the young girl, because she was like 27, 28 when she filmed this season. She's the young girl who comes in, maybe doesn't make that much of an impact, but is great for the episode she's in. And she turns into this kind of unassuming beast by the end of the season. And Art was genuinely threatened by her. Art was hoping that he'd be up against Karen because he knew he could beat Karen. He couldn't beat Sundos in a head-to-head very easily. Yeah, he was not confident that he was going to win that final quiz. In fact, I think he uh, it, lo- it seemed like he was when he was walking through the questions based on the objects, it seemed like he was accepting his fate as the runner-up at times. Yeah. Yeah, and if you think about it this way, Sundos was the first person to pick Patrick as the mole, and the only person that we know of until Final Five to pick Patrick correctly. Would the season have been better if Sundos won? Yeah, 100%. I think Sundos was very unfortunate not to win, and it'd be fascinating to find out what the difference between them was. I don't think it'll have come down to time, because we probably would have heard about that, but it was probably only one or two points at most, which is, you know, very interesting. It would be a very interesting situation if Sundos was our winner in this season, rather than Art. I'm glad Art won, because obviously he is a super fan, and he was very appreciative that he did win, but I would have liked to see Sundos win being perfectly honest it's always nice when people who've seen the show before win i have a very tough time ranking patrick as a mole overall just based on the weird hand he was dealt he's definitely not the best i would say but he pivots pretty good given that he had some things occur that were completely out of his control Not to mention, he kept himself quite well together, given that the second half of the season, nearly every task involved a flood. I think there there would be moles from other seasons that would just have hated the idea that they were stuck there until the end, having to run through flooded streets. I don't think Euron would have enjoyed a season like that. (laughs) I, I think there's only one challenge the entire season where they actually win all the money, which is pretty much unheard of at this point in the show's lifespan. I don't even know. Yeah, that's a good point. So maybe that puts him pretty high up there, and especially the fact that it wasn't until Final Four where everyone was straight ticket on Patrick. Yeah. I mean, just for some context, the mole subreddit list, as I said, he did play sixth out of 23 moles. Yeah. But they also think your Owen was a good mole. <laughs> yeah, I know. You, appropriately for my trip next week, you have to say this with a dead sea worth of salt. But Jan was number one, which I do kind of agree with. Patrick was number six. Thomas is number seven. Jeroen is number eight. Averon is number nine. Susan's 11. Meryl's 16. Kim, 19. Rob, 21. And Renee, 23. They're the ones you've seen. Or the ones we've covered on the podcast. Rob and Renee are way too low. Yeah, 100%. I have a soft spot for Rob anyway, because he listens to the podcast. But Hi, Rob. Yeah, Rob is way too low on that list. But I do think that Patrick is probably one of the stronger moles that we've covered. But he's subtly strong. That's the difference. You don't actually realise the impact that Patrick had on the part until you get to the end of the season and you go, bloody hell, he did a lot. 
and arguably he got the measure of art very quickly and used art against the rest of the group to his advantage. But he did very well in his position as Mole. Yeah. And he was very good at adapting. Stuff like the, the Horace thing, where Horace came up with the exact idea that he did. He very quickly pivoted on that, and that is a sign of a good Mole. The one downside I'll say to Patrick is compared to you know now where we've got really creative sabotages from the moles, there's not really anything super surprising about the way he sabotaged most of these challenges. Like I think the most surprising one is basically just holding up his sign in the hospital for the guy to read. There's not really anything. Um, Nothing new was brought to the table. Yeah. Yeah. The caveat that you have to think about is between us, we've probably seen well over 100 seasons of the mole. Yeah. Not a lot surprises us when it comes to sabotages anymore. That's a good point. So when it does, it's a really cool thing. But I don't think you can necessarily discredit Patrick's sabotage just because it's nothing new. Yeah. Nothing new that we haven't seen in the 24 years at this point that the show's been on air. Yeah, somebody just needs to do a handstand while doing a sabotage. That'd be something new. God, this show's nearly as old as off. She's 24. <laughs> <laughs> so, who did you suspect going into this episode, Logan? Patrick. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> That's what we call a layup in the radio industry. It's where you start actually, you know, elaborating on, on the stuff you know I want you to talk about. So, yeah, going into that final for execution, my order was Patrick, Karen, and Soundoffs. And then after Karen was executed, I just, I did not swap this time. <laughs> I had Patrick number one and Soundoffs as number two. Especially when everyone was suspecting Patrick, including Art, who eventually wins. It's like, well, I'm not going to swap now. So, throughout the 11 opportunities, I think it was, that you had to correctly select them all, you did it the last four times. So you managed to save yourself from a complete wipeout. It is very entertaining looking at the suspicions graphic and just seeing a whole wave of red until episode 8. Because at one point I did send it to Bindles just going, yeah, he's still not picked Patrick yet, and here's all the red that he's going to see at the end of the season, and it's just everything up until episode 8. Yeah, at least I, I did something right this time. You did it in the end. Between Kazi and Patrick... At least I'm not getting humiliated at the end of a season for the past two seasons I've seen. <laughs> You're on a roll, at least in 2022. Maybe not in 2023, we'll see. Because by this point, obviously, we'll very much know. But 2022, Logan's doing well at selecting moles. Kind of well. In the end. Yeah. Have you guys got anything else you want to say about the season? What about the location? Did we eulogize the location yet? I bloody love El Salvador and Nicaragua. No one else has ever been there. Even Tar's too scared to film there. It's just, you know, it's really cool that they went to both. Yeah, like even the Latin American version of Amazing Race has never been to either of these countries. That's right, because I was just looking that up. Yeah. I was surprised, actually, that El Salvador hadn't been visited since a lot of travel vloggers have been going there over the past five years. Yeah. It's good that production was able to figure out the logistics of it. It's a literal war zone, Logan. Why do you think they haven't been there? Well, it's not a war zone, I would say. I, I know I said this at the time, but they I think they use El Salvador better than they use Nicaragua, but they really do a good job with both of them. And I'm always a fan of a unique location. I love it when there's no crossover location and no 
history associated with the location in terms of mold. And you could you can make two arguments with using El Salvador and Nicaragua, which is on what or especially Nicaragua that we saw in the second half of the season, which is on one hand, it was either you could view it as either really, really dumb that they went to Nicaragua during rainy season, or really, really brave that they tried to film in Nicaragua during rainy season. Especially when Nicaragua is overall less stable than El Salvador, especially nowadays. It could have been swapped back in 2011, but now Nicaragua is more so the one that people try to avoid in contrast to El Salvador and to try and arrange all of these things during rainy season. And of course, it looks like they took advantage of certain looser laws like the fireworks and other things they did during the season. Things that that you wouldn't be able to do in, say, a country like Japan, where everything would be a lot more regulate a lot more strict laws about what you can and can't do. So production definitely took advantage of those things and willing to film, what, five or six episodes in flooding conditions. And the only thing that we could pick up on is maybe one challenge at the final three being cancelled. Otherwise, they were able to film a season that you wouldn't think was out of the norm whatsoever. Especially when we've seen something like the Mobile here last year, where that season was anything but the norm. Cursed. Yeah. yeah, cursed. Cursed that, is a bad word. Same as the Canary Islands in the coal mine. I think on the flooding thing, it's probably a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B. Obviously, they're super brave for filming it during rainy season, but obviously they're a little bit stupid for doing it too. I don't think it's a black and white choice on that. Do you think they would have gone to these two countries if they weren't filming in HD? Because, like, when Survivor did went to HD, they went out of their way to find somewhere new with Gabon. Uh, Amazing Race, when they went to HD, they found some really interesting sort of countries. Yeah, and also went to the middle of the desert for Leg 2. Yeah. I think that may have been a consideration. Because as I was saying to my brother, this is the era of reality TV where they did start doing everything in HD. Because Unfinished Business was 2010, was it? It was roughly about the same time as this, and then obviously... Season 14 was in the spring of 2000, would have been spring of 2009 for Amazing Race. So 2011, spring of 2011 is when the season aired, so they would have filmed it fall fall of 2010. So it's pretty much the same time that they did this, and Gabon was... Very similar timing as well, wasn't it? Yeah, that makes sense because 16 was the year they gave away the holiday to Whistler and made a point of mentioning the skeleton track like two days after the guy died. Yeah. This was the the sort of era of reality TV where they finally committed to doing HD and it finally became cheap enough for them to. And say what you want about both El Salvador and Nicaragua, those countries have very varied landscapes in terms of the stuff that they can show off on these cameras. Oh, yeah. So I think it probably was a consideration when they were looking for for somewhere to go, rather than just go, we're going to dump them in black sand beaches of Iceland for four episodes. They actually wanted somewhere that was interesting visually. And then, you know, half of the cameras got washed out by the sheer amount of rain that they had from filming in rainy season. (laughs) Is there anything else you guys want to mention? before we wrap this season up. No, I think we covered it all. In that case, thank you for listening to our Vista Mall 2011 recaps all season long. We will be back very soon for more episodes. Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram, where we are, TV Warriors, or you can email us and contact at rtvwarriors.com. 
Logan is on Twitter at Logsquacky. Bindles is a Grim Recapper, and I'm MJ Harmstone. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash rtvwarriors. Thank you as always to Marika for the subtitles. We will see you very soon. Peace out and just chill till the next of flavoring. Pity Yan is dead. Long live them all. <laughs>